Okay. Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. As per usual, I'm joined by managing director of Guns on Pegs, Chris Horn. Chris, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, George. It's a good time of year, this one, isn't it? I, it I, is. I just think that like shooting and Christmas, they're, like, they're sort of the perfect combo because they're both about just having a laugh with family and friends, aren't they? I get really excited. They are, you? Yeah, I love it. I mean, we have a... Well, it won't be this year because... Um, uh, Boxing Day is a Sunday, but we normally have what we call the armed walk on Boxing Day, where uh, people will definitely outnumber the bag at the end of the day. Um, we're all feeling a bit fat, um, so we sort of get out and try and put a few miles in the legs uh, and try and work off some of the mince pies. Uh, but it's always a really nice part of that Christmas break, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I reckon, actually, our guest today has probably got the best armed walk outside his back door for a Boxing Day shoot. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, why don't you uh, tell us who we've got with us today, Chris? <laughs> so um, we've got a proper Scottish guest with us today, rather than the imitation Scots we had on last time. Uh, <laughs> it was absolute chaos with the Brownlows. Uh, we received a message online from Will Forbes, who said, can you please have some more Scottish guests? So here we are. <laughs> uh, I've answered your uh, question, Will, and and. Obviously Obviously, therefore, because you've got mentioned on the pod, your garters are in the post. Uh, and George, by the way, did you hear that? The garters are actually in the post. I've done it. <laughs> I Hang on. I, I was just looking to see if I could see a pig flying past. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry to all those people that have been waiting so long. I was standing in the post office yesterday. We, we had like, I think about four or five pairs go to the US, a couple to Australia, and the queue behind me with the hissing and the tutting, you know, there's always that person <laughs> in the local provincial post office. Um, and you were that pu- guy. <laughs> I was public enemy number one, filling out custom forms. I had to write on it, what's in here? I was like, garters. I mean, the, they're <laughs> going to be wondering, what are these? <laughs> they're going to get the wrong idea, aren't they? <laughs> well, yes, that's a very good point. But anyway, come on, Chris, who's our guest? Uh, right, so our guest today, um, along with his wife, actually, are hands down two of the best shoot hosts I've ever come across. Um, Possibly the best, actually. We'll debate that one a bit. Um, So our guest runs a shoot on the Isle of Muck, which is an island on the west coast of Scotland, just off the west coast. It's inhabited by around 35 people. They've taken it from what was uh, only a small husband and wife operation to a luxury island, multi-species, epic hospitality experience and if you haven't been before by the end of this pod i can assure you you would have already emailed him uh, to get in touch and try and get your day there a huge warm welcome to toby fitchner irvine good evening chaps how are you yeah very, very well good, indeed toby. yeah thank, thank you. you very much for having me well it's great for you to join us toby thank you i know you've been busy with guests this week is that you done for the christmas break now or have you got guests in this week as well no, no. So we um, last team left uh, this morning. They left about sort of ten, half past ten this morning. So that's us now until the third of January. So yeah, we've uh, ten, twelve days. We're, we're not quite sure what to do with ourselves. Well, I was about <laughs> to say, you, this is like, are, are you guys actually going to sit on the sofa? Do you do that? Uh, I don't really know. I've spent. Um, so one of my keepers left today to go on his Christmas holiday. So I've been feeding pheasants today and uh, the kids were on at us to, to cut down a Christmas tree. So that's been done this afternoon. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I think from now on in, we're pretty good. We should be good for, for a few days anyway. Lovely. Well, what better way to start your time off than with a, a podcast recording? Um, and more, yeah. We'd probably better get things going properly and ask Toby, what's that you're drinking? It can only be one thing, I think, on 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 Mac. It has to be a at this time of year, especially um, cold, dark winter days. Getting a bit, getting pretty chilly outside just now. I think one of the most warming drinks you'll ever find on a shooting field has to be a, a rusty nail. Um, ah. It's uh, an old Isle of Muck staple, and it, it's it's pretty hard to beat on a on a cold day out in the field. We have heard tell of these rusty nails on this <laughs> podcast before. They go before you. <laughs> yeah, they've got the better of a few of our guests over the years, and uh, they're uh, yeah definitely to be enjoyed in in moderation. I think it, it, there's a fine line there to keeping warm and and and, and crossing that line. You're not talking about my co-host, are you? 
I couldn't, couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> would like to say uh, I, I can't stand rusty nails. I th- I'm pretty sure I've had quite a lot of it, but that's not through like sheer choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, drink, drink of the gods. Can't go wrong. With What's that? What's that stuff you hand out uh, that's in your um, in your peg pullers at the start of the day? So we 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 have uh, Brewdar as well, which is a, a Scottish uh, malt whiskey liqueur with a bit of slowberry and and a bit of honey in it, uh, and we we make quite a lot of um, raspberry vodkas and strawberry gins and bits and pieces like that. So well, about a hundred. 20 liters i think we made this year so we're we're we're, bur- we're burning through it pretty quickly but we've still got another month to go so we've still got a few bottles left very cool george what are you drinking well so i've had a bit of a cock up listeners to the podcast will know that i typically drink whiskies on this podcast and i thought that since we had our first proper scottish guest i ought to try and find a local whiskey uh now there isn't a distillery on muck but there is one on mull and so I ordered a bottle of, uh, the name escapes now, whatever it was. Anyway, when I ordered it, uh, I put the wrong postcode in, so it wasn't <laughs> delivered. <laughs> so I'm afraid I'm still on Speyside Whiskey, uh, which isn't quite the same thing, but it's still very delicious. Um, but yeah, so sorry about that. My foot, The first time I tried to really, uh, you know, marry a drink up with our guests and it's gone wrong. <laughs> was was George's guess of Mull one of the one of the closest distilleries, Toby? Yeah, there's um, so to- Tobermory was probably the one you're thinking of on Mull. Um, there's Talisker on Sky, and there's also a new distillery at Ardnamurchan, which I think uh, oh, yeah. have just started uh, producing some whiskey of their own. They've got their own um, uh, their, their first bottlings just come out now, so that that's uh, that's going great guns at the moment. Over an odd market, which we can pretty much see from here, uh, it's just 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 around the corner from us. So, uh, uh, yeah, 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 they'll be the closest ones. Oh, lovely! And Chris, what have you got? So, I've been shopping, George. I went to a very a few different weird and wonderful farm shops around here, and I found something that is, well, put it this way, it's not very nice, but it, it's very Christmassy. <laughs> it's it's a beer called Bad Elf, a winter's ale. That's all it really says on it. Uh, it's made by Ridgeway Brewing, so I'm sorry, Ridgeway Brewing. It's not great, but um, it's, it, it's Christmassy, so it, I thought I should have it. You know, is it very dark? Or what? Tell us about it. It uh, <clears throat> it's just a bit average. It's quite light. It's it's four and a half percent, but it I don't really know what it's trying to be. It's kind of sort of it's almost a bit. Um, it's trying to be a bit pale ale-y, but coming out a bit light and a bit lagery, and it's sort of just missing missing it could be one or the other really and i think it'd be better if it was either side because the, the name sounds like a dodgy christmas porno <laughs> <laughs> the bloke on the front of it looks like he was in one in the 1960s but... <laughs> um yeah i don't know I'll, I'll up my game next time uh we'll see but i'm sure it will disappear quite quickly once we get chatting <laughs> great okay right let's get on with it um so Toby, the next section is a section we call Whose Bird Is It Anyway? And it's where we ask our listeners to send in their shooting quandaries and queries and dilemmas and that kind of thing, and we try and resolve them. So this week's episode comes from somebody who's got a bit of a foxy one. Uh, let's call him Rodrigo. Um, he writes, A couple of years ago, during a conversation with a friend, let's call him Frederico, I was surprised to learn that he was also a game shooter, And after further conversations, I was invited to visit his syndicate as a guest. It was a friendly group with everyone pitching in to help manage the syndicate. And the day resulted in a small but enjoyable bag with many laughs and new friends. On the day, Frederico had drawn a blank, but small days often result in some guns not getting any birds. And I'm sure we've all been in this situation. Last year, amidst the uncertainty of lockdowns, I managed to arrange a day and invited Frederico along with several other seasoned shooters. As the day approached, excitement was growing with the guns chatting about the day. With all the changing regulations, the expectation that it would be cancelled was high, so we were all relieved and somewhat excited when the day finally arrived. The birds were plentiful, if a little challenging, and the beating team had all worked very hard. At the end of the day, Frederico scurried away quickly, passing me a pitiful tip for the keeper, saying he hadn't had a good day at all and that nothing flew in his direction. I was somewhat surprised as I'd made sure to check in with my guns when we gathered together throughout the day to ensure that everyone was having a nice time. 
due to our peg numbers, I was furthest, I was furthest away from Frederico all day. So as the rest of us stood around chatting, I asked if anyone had seen him shooting. The reply from several of the guns is that they hadn't seen him hit a thing. When I managed to grab a quiet moment with the guns I'd invited, I probed a little more, and they all said that Frederico couldn't hit a barn door with a banjo, and they weren't at all surprised that he hadn't hit anything. I thought about it that evening, and at that point made a deliberate decision not to mention it, and had thought very little about it. However, later this year, when he and I were again on a small shoot and were having a conversation at the end of the day, I happened to mention in passing that I'd managed to shoot six birds, at which he was surprised, stating that he'd never hit that many birds in total in all the years that he'd been attending. It finally dawned on me that he is indeed a terrible shot. So the quandary I have, Frederico and I are both part of the same syndicate. As such, any birds that get missed are always around for the next drive, next shoot, or even next season. However, I do feel a bit conflicted, letting my friend Frederico know he's a terrible shot after all this time and should probably get himself booked in for some shooting lessons or, worst case scenario, take up another sport. So, should I tell my friend he's terrible at shooting? (laughs) I mean, it it sounds like he's absolutely awful, doesn't it? Toby, what do you think? Yeah, geez, I don't know. I mean, I, I... Yeah, surely he must realise he's a terrible shot. If if you're rattling through cartridges all day and you haven't shot anything, surely at some point it's going to dawn on you you can't hit Van Door. Um, terrible, not not tipping the keeper as well. That that's that's you can't judge a day if if you've been out in the shooting, fair enough. But if he's been banging away, that seems that seems pretty poor form, I'd say. Well, yeah. that that's the bit that struck me the most because. To not tip the keeper suggests he hasn't enjoyed himself and he's yeah, had a yeah. bad experience and the rest of it. But it just makes me think he's not really that bothered by the whole situation at all. He's a bad shot because he doesn't really care and he's not actually enjoying it. That's my main concern. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm glad I don't have any shooting friends like that. It's, uh, <laughs> for, for Crikey, for me, it's, um, you know, shooting, I think, is all about the social side of it. The shooting's brilliant and an and important part of the day. But if, if you're going somewhere just to kill pheasants, what's the point? I mean, just, just yeah. got to have a bit of fun while you're at it. I don't think I'd be all that shy about telling him he's terrible. I tell all my friends they're terrible, regardless of yeah. how well they've shot. It's sort of the law. You <laughs> yeah, can't be too complimentary. Agree, yeah. But but the other thing that occurred to me is it sounds like these guys have shot together three four times maybe is that what I and so maybe he's got him on four bad occasions and I know that you know three three days out of four I shoot awfully as well so <laughs> maybe he's okay he's just had an off couple of off days I mean look there's definitely tell him he's rubbish because you have to anyway as you say George you never go around telling your mates they're amazing shots it looks like you're after something. Uh, so so, uh tell him he's rubbish but then when he goes do you think i am or like something like that go no no yes you really are you should go and get some lessons drop it in make it very clear my my brother-in-law mary's brother uh lovely chap lives along the road from us here uh he he doesn't do a lot of shooting he shoots with me a couple of times a year and we usually go to angus for a, a couple of days in january he's been on an estate over there where the birds are incredibly challenging I think he's been there three times now. I'm not sure he's hit a pheasant yet, uh, but he is the best company. Uh, he's very good fun and quite a cheap guest to take along, to be honest. Uh, doesn't shoot an awful lot, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I always think the company's more important than the than the shooting. I reckon it sounds like he needs to sack his friend off. I think. <laughs> well, maybe this he is has got maybe he's got great crack. Maybe he's yeah. worth having on the day, and actually, you know that you can shoot his share of the bag. Without too much, uh, too much concern. I'm not sure Federico has great crack based on this story you've just told us here. <laughs> it just doesn't sound like it. Doesn't he? Just sounds yeah. a bit dull. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he really is that bad, someone's got to say something anyway because he's going to be pricking a load of birds, and at some point, you know, probably needs to be addressed. But yeah, I don't know. It's pretty awkward. It's a difficult one, isn't it? It is a difficult one. Uh... Yeah, but we see all sorts of you. you get you get it's always I, I think if you're putting the birds over him, I mean what 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 more can you do as 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 somebody with my, my gamekeeper's hat on, that's you can't make the birds fall out of the sky. You can you can put them over the top of the guns and if it's up to them to do the rest, it's uh, as long as you're getting his share of the birds over him. Yeah. What what more can you do? 
And if he'll happily tip the keeper and pay his syndicate and then not really contribute to the bag, then he's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, as long as he's good crack. He wants to be good crack as well. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Very good. So, uh, Chris, uh, have you got an unpopular opinion for us? I do. Uh, this one comes from someone we shall call Torquil. Uh, Talkers writes, um, are most of us dishonest when defending shooting? Conservation is something our community is rightly very proud of, but most of us are very removed from. On the occasions I have to defend shooting, I become a conservationist, even though it's not strictly true. Most of my shooting is done on small farm shoots, one of which is my family's. I've put a lot of effort into this shoot over the years and know that it's run well. Like many small shoots, there's not a full-time keeper. The shoot is both time and money poor. There's very little work done on conservation, unfortunately, and I suggest that is true of a lot of very small shoots. It is, however, really good fun. Yet when I'm challenged by someone who opposes shooting, my argument is not that it is a great day out. Instead, I become a conservationist and piggyback off the good work done by much larger shoots. Given lots of us shoot on small days, are lots of us dishonest when defending shooting? That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I've got a lot to offer on that one. But I'm going to go to our guest first. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think there's probably two, two aspects to that. I guess your your small farm shoot. I think a lot of farmers um, with a shooting interest have got access to various grants and various fundings, greening schemes, all that sort of stuff. I reckon as long as they have have shooting at heart, shooting a, a, as an interest as part of their farming enterprise, they're always even subconsciously going to make the right decisions to put a new hedging um, you know, think about where they're draining, give up a scruffy corner of their field. I, I think that's kind of part of, yeah, part of it. And then the other, the sort of larger shoots that employ keepers and things like that. All right. You're, you pay for a day shooting or pay for several days shooting across the year that, that you, you, you all right, you're going there to shoot to pay to shoot but the money you're putting into that estate or to that shoot is is being spent through the keepers um on conservation work they're doing a lot of vermin control they're doing a lot of tree planting head planting um game crops you know it's all part of the wider shooting um field i guess i mean we we so we we here we've planted about ninety thousand trees since we've been on the island here really um you know shooting has has, has ultimately paid for that the farm the farm's done a lot as well they've got various grants for for fencing and things like that they've done a lot of stuff off their own back as well um as as have we and and you know we without the shooting we we, we couldn't afford to do that um we couldn't afford the staff to 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 uh, and our time just just you know it costs money to plant trees and look after them, and we couldn't do that without the without the funding from the shoots. Um, same with duck ponds. We've put in quite a few ponds here, as you know, and um, we plant not a huge amount, but we plant little blocks of cover crops here, there, and everywhere. We do a lot of trapping in the spring and, and right through the year as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that's possibly a little bit unfair. Uh, I think if you're involved in shooting, I think there's always a back door. Um, there's always a sort of backdoor way into conservation. You might not be hands-on doing it yourself, but but you're you're funding the guys that are doing it, and and without you know those guys that are doing all the work without the the, the income from the shoots, I think it's it's very difficult to to do that off their own backs. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're onto something there. That's exactly it, George. What do you reckon? Well, I completely agree. I think um, he probably does more conservation than he realizes. Because a lot of conservation is about what you choose not to do. You know, think about the, if you, you look at the sort of stereotypical English landscape, all those woods, that nearly all of those woods that you see that are still standing, or nearly all of the hedgerows, they've all been planted whenever they were planted, probably for the purposes of shooting, or at least with that in mind. By not cutting them down, by not plowing in your hedges, you are doing conservation. As Toby rightly says, vermin control, predator control, that is conservation in and of itself. And, you know, other things like, you know, the kind of cover crops that you choose to plant, uh, you know, without those cover crops, those farmland birds have got that hungry gap to get through. Um, so if you choose to plant a wild bird seed mix rather than, say, maize, then you're doing conservation. And I think that he probably, yeah, like I said, I think he probably does a lot more conservation than he really gives himself credit for. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think the other issue he's he's raised is about the small shoot versus big shoot bit. 
And that just simply is not an argument when it comes to conservation. The biggest driver of conservation is whoever's in charge. It's down to the the ethos and the mindset of that person. So you can have some big shoots that are absolutely incredible examples of how conservation should happen on a, on an estate, uh, and you can have some big shoots which just rip up the rule book. And you know they they are they're not they're really not great. And and we've got to sort of sort them out. And that's what the BGA standards and the Code of Good Shooting Practice is there for. But then you've got the small shoots who who do a lot. You know they they maybe don't release as much, so they're not hammering uh, woodland floor as much. But then they're not doing as much around the estate that the larger shoot would would have the funds to do with the keepers and everything else. So it swings and roundabouts. Um, and I often actually hear it the other way around. I'm intrigued by this one. Often, certainly in my position, I get a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's the big shoots that are bad for for what shooting does." And that's simply not the case. It's not a big or a small thing. It's down to the person who's, yeah, who's managing it. I do kind of get yeah, where he's agree, coming yeah. from, though, because obviously there are going to be days when those bigger shoots with their full-time keeping team sort of wake up in the morning and say, today we are doing job Y, which is conservation-focused. He doesn't wake up in the morning and think, "I'm today I'm doing conservation. He thinks, today I'm doing farming. But he's sort of doing conservation sort of by proxy or um or by uh sort of sort of automatic conservation just by having a shoot and managing his ground for shooting there is conservation yeah. happening it's just he doesn't I, think of it as conservation and and <clears throat> and maybe he hasn't been around a particular farm which hasn't had a shoot on it forever and and seen the differences between his i'll bet he'll be surprised the quality as you say george about hedgerows and things like that and you know you get little syndicate working parties and stuff like that just going on to clear rides and stuff i'll bet this happens to some degree they might not think they're doing much but they're doing a lot you're allowing all sorts to happen when you actually do some active management so yeah, like, like you say they're doing more than you think because they're going to be feeding birds so there's going to be feeders around with access to all the seed eating birds they've got they've got feed there they're going to be controlling foxes and crows and they might not be doing it full time but they're doing as much as they can i'm sure um to make their shooters as, as good or as viable as it can be so yeah I, I agree i think they're they're probably doing more than they think yeah so I, i've got a bit of a suggestion for him uh which is um ring up the gwct and yes, it costs a little bit of money, but get them to do a shoot visit, come round and give you some advice on what you're doing really well and the things you can improve. Um, actually, ironically, we've been working with them to produce this uh, net biodiversity online calculator. It's basically something from a Guns on Pegs point of view, we really want to try and understand those shoots that are actually not doing a very good job behind the scenes and the ones that are doing a great job. And by bringing it online, we're going to be able to see you know, who those people are and then start to try and promote those more than the others. And that's ultimately where shooting is going to go. So we're working on that behind the scenes. We're actually just doing testing on it at the moment. But in the meantime, get a GWCT shoot visit, and they'll give you all the bits of all the gems that you can do to make your place something you can really hang your hat on. Because I think that you'll probably be surprised, as Toby says. Yeah, and, and Chris, as you know, we have a farm shoot here at home. We shoot, you know, if we shoot 50, we've had a great day. Um we had a team of uh, chaps who actually won the day in a GWCT auction uh, shooting with us the other day. And on the final drive, the number of farmland birds that were coming out of one of our newer plantations of trees was just unbelievable. Um, just clouds of them. And that is because, you know, a few years ago we went, well, let's see if we can create a couple of new drives. And we planted some trees and, you know, they're now like, a, I don't know, head height, something like that. And they're just absolutely heaving. Sadly, not quite so heaving with partridges as they're supposed to be some of the time. But, um, you know, you can see the work that you're doing. You can see the impact. And I think, you know, don't give yourself such a hard time. Don't beat yourself up. I think you're probably doing a good job. Definitely. So, George, um, before we move on, <clears throat> I've just received a text, which is an absolute dilemma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Live update. I literally got to shoehorn this one into the pod because um, I've just read it and my other half, Flo, does not know about this yet. So I need your help, right? <laughs> and and if this goes out live on air, what I'll do is I'll play it in the car next week or something and she <laughs> she, she can hear the dilemma unfold so I don't actually have to, have to confront her. Um, so uh, <clears throat> as you know, uh, 
guys, you guys, we've we've got a little daughter, so uh, very recent. So it's limiting time and getting uh, the chance to go out shooting, certainly travel a lot. I feel like I'm having to negotiate a bit harder for my January days, okay? So this text just says, hi, Chris, Yuri here. Hope you're well, mate. We're putting together a shoot day to showcase our Glen Eagles driven package and wondered if you might be available on the 29th of January. Looking forward to hearing from you. Kyra regards Yuri. <laughs> right. So the, the thing is, the 29th of January is the SAS day. It's in Glen Eagles. I'm in Kent. We all know how far that is. On the Monday, we've got our podcast shoot day. So I'd have to go Friday to Glen Eagles, have a laugh up there. Sunday down to Wiltshire. Podcast shoot day. I mean, it's going to be a boozy weekend. Back Monday night. So I basically got away, be away three nights. And I haven't even been away one yet. I mean, <laughs> you're going to have to see back a good present, Chris. <laughs> you're going to have to go shopping at Glen Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, Toby, right. You're teeing me up for failure already. Annabelle will be three months old. Uh, well, yeah, so then she'll be just over two, two months old. So, mate. I mean, barely sleep, barely <laughs> sleeping, right? I mean, I mean, already it's hard. It's, it's tough. I mean, I mean, if this was a listener, I'd say go for it. But. <sighs> You'd be a brave man to try and do both. <laughs> is that your advice, George? You that is my genuine me. advice. I think I'd be, I'd be very hesitant. <laughs> if, if it helps, Chris, I'm just looking at my diary. I think I'm the twenty ninth. Just, in, just in case you need a stand-in, I'm I, I just, just mentioning it. Yeah. <laughs> You're a lot closer than I am, Toby. <laughs> I I imagine I imagine Yuri is going to want me to uh, to tell a few people about the Glen Eagles shoot package. So if you can help us with that, then I'll pass it on. But yeah, well, yeah, I'll give it a so, crack. Yeah. So so my advice is don't go and pick me. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> Glen Eagles just down the road from here. Yeah, exactly. All right, noted. That's a that's a, that's a tough one, Chris. That is a tough one. Um, yeah, three days. Oh, Christ, yeah. Yeah, that is a tough one. So we, I, I've got a, a few days coming up in January as well, and I'll be away for for three or four days as well. Um, yeah, our, our youngest one's five and a half, and even even that's still quite a tough tough sell to the wife. That's uh, that's oh, no. uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's a tough quandary. That is a tough one. <laughs> But then, how many how many invitations do you get like that? I mean, there's there's uh, you, you know that's going to be a cracking right, Chris, day. Don't Chris you? gets that's, six yeah. of those a week. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I when uh, when in the week that Annabelle was born, Toby, uh, I turned down uh, Friday box at Cheltenham, uh, the Saturday after uh, box at Twickenham for the England South Africa game. <laughs> uh, the Thursday was a muzzle loading day in Norfolk, and the Wednesday was a two hundred fifty bird day somewhere. That four days in a row. <laughs> Honestly, it was, it was, I was like, someone's taking the piss. Like, this is, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Annabelle was born on the Friday night. And, and I, I saw, I saw the guys uh, here at the rugby on the Saturday. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it will all come back another time. I think yeah. I have to keep reminding myself of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Anyway, right. So, okay. So, Rodrigo and Torquil and you, Toby, are now members of the most noble order of the Garters and will shortly be in receipt of their very own set of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast Shooting Sock Garters. If you too have a shooting confession, quandary, a query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with, or you've got an unpopular opinion and you'd like a set of Garters, drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. Chris, have we got any more correspondence that we need to do today? Um, So... Um, we need to talk about two things, I think, just very quickly. Um, there's people that go to a fair extent, you know, they write us long letters to to get on the podcast and to get these literally, th- these garters, which are in serious demand. And you see by people on social media, you can tell they are. Um, and th- there's there's actually, there's been two Instagram profiles that have popped up. One is called Order of the Garter. Uh and we know who that is because we've we can tell we've done some digging and we can tell who's running that one. Uh, so it's getting a lot of followers from from loyal podcast listeners. The other one is called Dogs on Pegs, uh, and um, for for a while we had absolutely no idea who this person was. <laughs> and it turns out, George, and you're going to need to help me here a little bit. 
it turns out we, we thought, oh, this must be Lola or this new had his garters and has been there, done that, you know, been we've, we've sort of known him for a while or something like that. Turns out this was his attempt to get a pair of garters to start, <laughs> <laughs> to, to start this, to, to start Dogs on Peg's Instagram page and be very, very active in sort of essentially helping us with our social media, which... <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing. So he wrote a really, really long email explaining the thought process and he's a keen shot, uh, lives in London. Uh, this is Sheldon, by the way, who started the uh, started the account. He's got a, a gun dog called Clipper who he's in the process of training up. Um, and uh, he wrote a long uh, email explaining that he tried out all his different stories on his daughters in the car on the way to shoot days and they declared them all either un- unsuitable, unfit or unfunny. Uh, so he was sort of at a loss and so between them, they decided to start this Instagram account and they've been, you know, sharing all of our posts and really helping to promote the the podcast. So, Chris, I think you're right to, to raise it today. And um, I guess what we're saying is hats off to you, Sheldon. Thank you ever so much. Everybody listening, go and follow Dogs on Pegs. Go and follow the Order of the Garter as well. You get lots of get to see lots of garters out in the field, um, lots of very shapely calves. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think he's probably earned a set of garters, don't you, Chris? He's, he's absolutely earned a set of garters. And do you know what we should also, George, do, George? We should send him a tie, I think. We've got a few of those still in the office. I need to buy some more. But I think we should send him a tie and a set of garters because that is an extreme attempt to earn them. <laughs> it uh, is. And I, th- I think it's only right that we reward him. Um, actually, while we're on it, Toby, the, the Order of the Garter Instagram page, weirdly, about a month or so ago, I pop, popped up with a photo on the Isle of Muck. So ah. that that person has been in your house. <laughs> ah, ah, I wonder who. So who's that then? Who is that? Have you got a name? We George? have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Blair was stalking with you on rum. In fact, I think. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I know who. You are. I know who. You are. I know who you're talking about. They were shooting with us as well here, uh, back in October. I suppose it was early October. Yeah. Yeah. Blair. He's been here a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's. he's He's a good. La- I think players on our shoot day, isn't he, George? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He awesome. was. Uh, we, we. I ran a sort of little informal book as to who the first person to apply would be, and uh, he was pretty much evens. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. it uh, Blair's one of those guys. I, I. I see his social media stuff, and I kind of just keep dreaming. Like he gets out and about a lot. He's busy, yeah. He is busy. He is busy, yeah. He, he does. He does get about a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, jealous. Um, <laughs> he, he obviously doesn't have a two-month-old baby. Uh, <laughs> right. So, Toby, um, unlike Chris, I have not been fortunate enough to visit you on Muck, but I am pretty familiar with the west coast of Scotland, so I can, can imagine what it would be like. But for our listeners, and I suppose also for my benefit, can you just tell us a bit about the island and the shoot itself? Yeah, sure. So, uh, Muck's tiny. We're we're just sort of southwest of Sky. Um, to get to us by road, you you come up to Fort William. Um, it's about a sort of forty-five minute hour drive from from Fort William down to Arasig, where most of our guests come from. You then. We usually charter a boat to bring our, our guns over, and uh, the, the boat rides, um, weather dependent, um, takes sort of an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, something like that, on a, on a rough day, maybe a wee bit more, um, and that that gets you out to Max. Max Tiny, we're we're about sixteen hundred acres. The shoot, literally, uh, is is spread over the whole island, so we're we're shooting on that sixteen hundred acres, pretty much all of it. So the driven bit is, uh, which is most of what we do, um, covers probably eighty percent of the island, and then the boundaries. We've got a few snipe bogs and rough bits uh, that we do a bit of sniping woodcock on later in the year. Um, but yeah, we we literally shoot over over the whole island. We then also have um, the Isle of Rum next door, so we we lease the the, the sporting rights for that for the for the red deer stalking and also the the goat stalking um and rum's a much bigger island so it's only about seven miles from us um it's about twenty six and a half thousand acres rum so it's quite a quite a big playground amazing place beautiful island um as, as is muck uh, and you know if you catch the weather right there's there's we've got you know the scenery out here is pretty pretty spectacular um 
and yeah, it's just a just a, a nice office to have, I suppose. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And have you got a bit of fishing? So on Rum, we do. Yeah, there's there's some lovely hill lock fishing up on up on the the hills on Rum. There, there's uh, dozens of, of small little lochs on Rum with some some really special fishing on it. One in particular is is our sort of go to lock um, for for wild brownies and. It's just, uh, again, the scenery kind of makes the thing, but the fishing there is very good as well. The fish aren't the biggest, but there's there's plenty of them, uh, and it's quite exciting, quite exciting fishing up there. Lots of sea fishing, so quite often we'll have uh, groups of guests that will come and stay with us for sort of three, four, five nights, and we'll, we'll do a bit of everything. So if they're here in September, we'll go stocking for a couple of days. They might fish over there, try for a billy goat. Um, we'll bring them back on the boat back. If they're staying with us on Muck, they'll come back here in the evenings and we'll, we'll drop an odd lobster pot or two on the way over um, and, and, and check them the next day and try and catch some, some lobsters or crab for dinner. Um, and, and lots of line fishing as well, sea line fishing. So mackerel, pollock, um, the odd cod, wrasse, that sort of thing. There's, there's plenty of fishing around. So yeah. Yeah, a bit of everything, really. Amazing. I mean, yeah, macro fishing in that part of the world. We used to have a family cottage at Glenelg, which is oh, sort yeah. of not far away. I think we could just about see muck on a good day. Yeah, just about. Yeah, it's just around the corner from here. That's right. Yeah, and um, there was a, a chat with an old lifeboat who used to take us out macro fishing and um, okay. just had fantastic days there doing that. And um, on one memorable occasion, my brother, aged about six, managed to stick a macro hook through his middle finger. Uh, all the way beyond the barb um, oh, and uh, was helicoptered to sky to have it removed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah an amazing part of the world an amazing part of the world I must say like T- Toby hearing you talk about just just getting to muck just starts making me smile uh, because <laughs> I, I this you know when you when you go shooting not many people talk about the journey and get excited uh, I think I think it's one of the things is why shooting trips are so cool, but most specifically shooting trips on the West Coast of Scotland in the Isles and all those sorts of other places. I mean, the journey to your place is unbelievable. The scenery is... It's amazing. I mean, if you again, it's weather dependent. But if you if you catch that drive from Fort William, it's called the Road to the Isles from Fort William down to Arisig and Malig. There, if you catch that on a frosty autumn morning, it, it, it is. It's just breathtaking, isn't it? We take it for granted, you know. We we, we see this stuff every day, but for guys coming in, it, it is magical. And, and it, we, we we try and sort of you know, you know you get days like that, you have to sort of pinch yourself and just stop and take it all in and try and try and appreciate it, and which we do but uh you know when you see it every day is different but we 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 almost sort of forget about the whole traveling thing you know we're, yeah. we're 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 stressed about guests getting here and making sure everything's ready and getting everything ready for guests arriving but you know like you say by that point you know most of our guests come up the night before and stay somewhere local the night before so um they've had a bit of an adventure getting to us before before they even before they even arrive on the pier here you know the fact that it is a bit of a trek it sort of makes the whole thing a bit grander doesn't it a bit more special it's hard work as well a lot of our guys get pretty knackered we have a pretty um full-on schedule i mean here you can literally shoot from the minute you get up you know we're out sometimes early season five half five in the morning shooting geese and back in for breakfast then a full-on driven day and then you can flight ducks in the evening so you're literally shooting every minute you go out in the dark and come back in the dark and the next day if you're on rum you know rum rum bits of rum are, are pretty hard going and quite steep and if you have a, a, a you know if you have a good good day on rum you'll clock up 20 miles 20 25 miles on rum without without really thinking about it and um it does it does does we had a lot of sleepy faces on the boat on the way back and uh, after a couple of gin and tonics in the larder over there it's uh, yeah there's a there's a there's there's quite a few sort of um, tired looking faces around but it, it is it's hard work it, it's quite grueling and a lot of guys think uh, you know they'll come up for a week but and we do we, we get guys that do it and they're, they're usually pretty shattered by the time they leave us but but uh, yeah a, a, a nice sort of tired I suppose. A, a thought's just occurred to me that um, you know with all this different all these different things going on it must be a pretty big boat that you charter from the mainland because people must just have a lot of clobber with them you know, you need a lot of different cartridges. Yeah. You need a lot of different kit. They just must have a heap of stuff. What is it? Six or eight people with other halves. And I mean, it must be a ferry. And and, and also getting on this boat, which is called the Shearwater, uh, 
bike with old Ronnie, uh, the, the whoever's getting whoever's helping you get on with all the luggage always pipes up with, "You got enough ammo or something like that?" You know, <laughs> not not very accurate or something. You know, <laughs> it's a classic. Every time, yeah, every time. <laughs> R- R- Ronnie's the skipper of the boat, and uh, he's been doing our charter since we started, and. Really, without Ronnie, without Irish Submarine, uh, they, they they give us such a good service. Um, the boat's not massive; it, it's a passenger ferry. Um, our groups range from anywhere between eight and sixteen people, depending on on who's coming out. And uh, um, the, the biggest the biggest fear from our point of view is the weather. So you know, if the weather blows up, um, we we have difficulties in moving people around, moving guys from the mainland to us or, or back to the mainland from here. So we we've we spend our life looking at weather forecasts throughout the winter season, throughout the autumn and winter. We're on the phone to Ronnie pretty much every other day, every night sometimes, <laughs> keeping an eye on the weather. And if we can see a storm coming, we have to sometimes action plan B and plan C, which is why we kind of quite like getting guys up the night before so we can – I think it's happened to you guys before, hasn't it, Chris? We've yeah. had to pull you up early in the morning or, or even the night before and um, occasionally get guys stuck here for an extra night as well. It's just, just the way it works. It's uh, There's not much we can do about the weather. We just have to try and try and plan around it. In the early days in the early days of coming to you i think we stayed two days long or two days late (laughs) so it can't happen you know it's not it's not unusual i mean we we charter this boat from arisey um but but you know our scheduled ferries the 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 cal mac ferries we only get four of them a week uh, and you know roughly we we probably lose on average you know maybe 60 percent we probably only get maybe 60 percent of the ferries that are are scheduled to come over the winter months you know with with the storms coming through so um it can be quite a challenge and just getting supplies in it's all very well having guests here but we need supplies we need you know our guests can be quite a thirsty bunch and we've got to get drinks in we've got to get food in we've got to get you know supplies in to 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 cater for everyone um so yeah there's just the logistical challenges i suppose it's all just a wee bit takes a wee bit of planning i must just quickly go back to that that journey because you mentioned there saying coming up through there um that that bit of european funded road if you've got a fast car go there it's it should have been amazing it should have been on top gear because i It's just unbelievable. As you say, the, the autumn colours are driving up that bit past yeah. the past, past the sort of Glenfin and Viaduct. Yeah, yeah, that, that was in Harry Potter, wasn't it? That yeah, the, the the bridge was. That's right, the Viaduct. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. amazing. The whole, the whole journey, and you know, if Ben Nevis and things clear as you go up to, uh, if you're heading back up the road, back up to Fort William, if there's snow on the top of Ben Nevis and it's all clear, it is. It's magical. Really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful <clears throat> dreamy. It's all part of it, um, but. Toby, you mentioned the the logistics of of keeping your guests fed and watered, but um, from what I've gathered from Chris and from having a quick poke around on the the website as well, it looks to me like the catering on on Muck is second to none. There's a lot of seafood and... It's just unbelievable. Mary's Mary's, Mary's a pretty good cook, hence hence I'm this size. Um, (laughs) But uh, she... um, she's not trained or anything she just grew up with her mum who, who's who's been cooking all her life and um cooking and baking and things like that so yeah mary's just grown up with it and and you know we, we're lucky here we've got a we've got a fisherman on the island who catches all our shellfish for us so we do a lot of um lobster and um crab and longestine and squat lobsters and lots of white fish we've got a great fish merchant in, in malik um, who does scallops and oysters and um, all sorts of white fish for us so i, I mean we're, we're we're quite fish heavy we're quite game heavy as well we have a lot of venison and 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 obviously feather game from here as well so we try and um especially over the winter months try and use what we can through the through the lodge and just we've got quite inventive actually lockdown um we didn't we didn't operate so we usually run as a guest house in the summer and last summer we just we didn't bother opening at all there wasn't any point um so we had sort of five or six months over the summer to to bugger about with recipes and and, and mess around with stuff and it was great we 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 had a good 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 time doing that we've come up with a heap of new new dishes and things like that so uh, so yeah and and everybody on the island that does catering has an inherent fear of anybody leaving the island hungry um so yeah people (laughs) usually waddle back to the boat and um yeah yeah no it's all, all part of it it's it's such an awesome aspect i think that i think that's probably 
it's taken for granted because the rest of the trip with you is is such it's got such wow factor um compared to sort of normal shooting that you do maybe on your syndicate at home or whatever you almost forget that actually the catering aspect is just so good i i think you you whenever i've been with you i think we've always had a huge amount of crab on the first night or something oh, yeah and it's just unbelievable yeah. um yeah it's a big to me it's a big part of it i think a lot of a lot of these um you know, we've all been to these quite big commercial shoot, and the shooting's been fantastic. And and it's just some of these guys get the hospitality; just it's just not quite there, you know. And it's not a difficult thing to do. It, it it's it's a relatively simple, you know, really the cheapest part of the day. Laying on a day like that is the hospitality. And I think a lot of guys have, have gone too far the way of the shooting. They they put all their effort into producing the best birds they can, and they've perhaps forgotten about the 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 hospitality side of things which for me when i go shooting i don't i don't shoot that often but i enjoy my shooting and uh, i treasure the days i have and for me the hospitality side of it is is almost as important as the shooting side yeah i couldn't agree more and you can tell by how excited we're obviously getting talking about it we haven't even talked about the height of a pheasant yet it doesn't even matter (laughs) it's just not there um I, i must i must go on to your shoot lodge because because quite a few years back, you were obviously in a different different part of the island, and you've built you've built this unbelievable shoot lodge. Uh, it's called Gallanac Lodge, if you want to Google it. Um, but for those that have listened to our ultimate shooting lodge episode, we had Tim Crump on, and we were basically just just but <laughs> dreaming up as the as the drink started flowing, dreaming up the most ridiculous shoot lodge. Um, a lot of my inspiration in that episode was taken from what Toby has created. Uh, so tell us about this lodge, Toby, because it's just a it's just a perfect little spot, isn't it? It's a bonny spot. So I mean, the view really, um, I think, probably makes the place that we're we're looking across the water. There's a beach in front of our house, 100 meters in front of the house, uh, White Sand Beach. We're looking across to Rum, across to Sky. You can see the Coolin Ridge on Sky Egg to the right there. Um, on a clear day, you'll see out to South Uist and out to Barra as well from the front of the house there. Um, it's a modern lodge. We built it. Uh, we've been in here for eight years now. Um, we live in the lodge, so the, the lodge is sort of divided into three. It's a sort of horseshoe shape, and um, both ends of the house are, are accommodation, so we live in one of the ends. We've got a sort of self-contained four-bedroom house stuck on the side of it. We've got a big main room, uh, which is the sort of main dining room and living room, and this big decking area out the front, and patio out the front looking, sort of taking in the view, and then all the, the guest accommodation is on the far side of the building um yeah it's 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 a it's a warm comfortable lodge and and uh we've got we've got space we can sleep we can sleep 16 guests which is really what we need we we always shoot with eight guns here and and, and quite often we have four teams when, when everybody's bringing their partners with them so we can have up to up to 16 guests staying in the house which is uh which is our capacity so um yeah and it's it's, it's- it's proper luxury as well. You even put like Sonos speakers in the wall, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it causes a lot of aggro. The Sonos speakers cause more arguments than anything else. I think you give you give someone the music controller, and Christ Almighty, it goes. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and and uh, we've got a great sound system downstairs, and uh, guests can choose their own music, and you know after after a few rusty nails, it's uh, it can uh, turn into a bit of bickering to see who's going to get the next tune. <laughs> yes. So so George, the, the go back to that shoot lodge episode. Basically, the the the, in, the, the middle part of of this lodge which is i think just creates the atmosphere you were alluding to a minute ago about what why you go shooting toby it's got sort of two uh, seating areas where you all sit sort of opposite each other two sort of rectangular seating areas a raised log burner in the middle which is just a genius touch who puts log burners on the floor when you can raise them Uh, and then this huge long seating area behind where everyone can sit really comfortably um didn't actually didn't all the wood and the creation yeah yeah so so we 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 farm in Aberdeenshire and we we had Dutch elm disease over there so we uh I mean years ago we we took a lot of these these big elm trees down and and just we're actually just breaking them up into firewood and it just seemed such a shame so we 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 set them all up log we got a a mill in to to mill them all up into planks and they were just stuck in the back of the sheds and um when we're when we're talking about building this place we suddenly realized or remembered we had all this this timber over there so it went on a bit of an epic journey it went up from our farm it went up to to Huntley to be kiln dried in Aberdeenshire then went up to Inverness to be planed and then went across to Rum to cabinet 
maker pal of mine that lived on rum at the time who made the most amazing furniture out of it so we sent about six tons of timber across to to rum for this guy to knock up some beds and tables and all the rest of it so uh, he did a did an amazing job on it so um yeah no it's nice to be able to use all that sort of stuff and uh, yeah a bit of a story behind it. that's just fantastic so i'm toby i'm interested in the island as a as a place um like the economy like how many people are there i think chris said 35 is that a permanent yeah, there's about perma- 35 of us here and um we're so so we're part of the small isle so you have you have egg next door to us you have rum canna and muck and we're we're the smallest of the four islands they're all all the four islands are they're all quite different so we're all under different ownership so egg is quite famously community owned has been for about 20 years um rum is is largely the, the community own a, a chunk of the village and and uh, i think they have about 50 acres which is the main sort of settlement of the island the rest of it's a national nature reserve and is uh, owned and managed by uh, nature scott um, and canner is owned by national trust so we're the sort of slightly old school black sheep of the small house we're still privately owned <laughs> so the family the family um own the island and have done for about 120 130 years now we're quite we're quite traditional so um farming farming shooting fishing other sort of uh, you know three sort of old school industries here all the islands are quite um you know they're quite dependent on tourism whether that's sporting tourism for us or or you know just regular summer guests we're we're we're, we're slightly odd in that our season happens over the autumn and winter whereas uh you know during the summer up here all the islands well the whole west coast this year has been been manic with tourists it's been really busy um we, we, we're slightly different in the fact that our, our sort of main months are, are september through to february um so that that's that's where we're slightly different from everyone else but yeah all, all the islands they're all totally different um you know uh, uh, geology wise they're all different landscape wise they're all totally different size wise they're different population wise all slightly different as well so although we're only a few miles apart there's there's quite a big difference between all the islands yeah really interesting and so you've got how many kids i didn't catch at the beginning but we've 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 got three kids so our kids are sort of scattered about we've got archie who's 19 he's just turned 19 um jasper is turned 14 last week and oscar is five uh so yeah they're all pretty they're all pretty uh all pretty spread out so when it comes to schooling what point do they need to leave the island to go to school we have a primary school here um so we have a nursery and a primary school here. So from the age of about four right through to about 12, 11 or 12, they can be on the island here for their sort of formative education. Then they have to go to the mainland for, for secondary education. Now that's either uh, the local state school option is in, in Malik, so they, but they have to board, so they, they stay there during the week and come back at the weekends. Um, and our kids, um, Archie's finished now, but, but Jasper goes to school down in, in Prussia. He's a boarding school down in there uh, and oscar's still in school here so yeah 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 and the school is a sort of pretty integral part of the island um you know there's only the six kids in the school six kids in nursery <laughs> and primary school here they've got two teachers so they're doing pretty well uh, on the sort of uh, ratio to teachers to pupils they're doing quite well um the white duck fund uh, uh chris is is a big one uh, so we have a we put down a few white birds here which the kids have helped us with in the past they, they help rear these uh well they've hatched chicks for us before in the classroom and raised a few white chicks for us and we'll then take them on with all the rest of our birds and, and rear them up uh so we, we we've changed the rules slightly with the white white duck fund the last couple of years just to make it a little bit more uh, competitive so the deal we have is if a, if a white bird comes over and you shoot it you're you're fine you're all right so long as you kill it you you've done good uh, your neighbors will each pay 50 pounds into the school pot um <laughs> if if you miss the white bird there's a 50 pounds fine for missing the white bird and if you miss it and have your eye white it can start to get quite expensive so um <laughs> we've had we've had several pheasants over the last couple of weeks that have made us several hundred pounds that they've flown down the line only to be nobbled by the last gun um so we, we make a we make a killing for the school and um, the, the deal we have is they have to they have to have they have to go and do something fun with the money so um we give them a lump of money at the end of each 
each season and they, the last few years they've been going to a sort of outdoor adventure place in Aviemore for a week. They go for a, basically on holiday for a week and do lots of stuff down there, stay stay in a, in, a, in a sort of camp down there and do lots of outdoorsy things. And it just gets them off the island, which they, they, they wouldn't get a chance to do. Well. I, I, I've been on a day when a, when a white bird got shot a few years ago and I remember the kids like after they'd seen it get oh, shot from the cheering, be- yeah. from the beating line, and they were running up and and like where where is it who shot it and, I, and, and they were so excited and it was yeah. just it, it made like it put a whole load of things into perspective for me because to, to to see them having they, that year they were rearing them uh, the ones that got shot so for them to have taken the time and effort to rear a bird and then be super excited about the fact that it just got shot was just an odd one but they understood the whole life cycle yeah, of what yeah, was happening yeah. here yeah they got it and i mean last year with covid and all the rest of it they obviously didn't get their trip in uh so they they bought a lot of playground equipment so they've completely revamped their their playground they've got lots of new swings and slides and all sorts so it's great they love it and they they, they enjoy so the farm do it as well the farm take the kids around at lambing time and show them what's going on with the sheep we do the same with the you know we do the same with the rearing and all our kids come and help and, and help feed and help trap and all the rest of it and the kids just you know they have a good rural education they understand what's going on around them and if we if we shoot on a saturday all the kids are out with us and quite often teachers out with us as well helping us beat and things like that so so no it's a nice a nice community i mean if ever you needed an example of how shooting benefits a local community i mean that is it isn't it i mean oh gotcha yeah. forget yeah. forget helmsdale and the pubs and the hotels and stuff i mean that is proper real world stuff going on right there i absolutely love that it's amazing yeah so it i mean we i've obviously i've seen some of this but it's a wild place and 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 you have a lot of fun like you do you have such variation in sport and then you get back in the evening people sort of go and have a bath and a shower there's a a moment of calm isn't there like after each day there's a quiet bit you're right it's it's Sometimes it's 15 minutes, other times it's an hour. But then it goes into the evening when I think the sort of second part of a muck trip kicks off. <laughs> um, you must have seen some sights over the years. Because uh, people people turn it... When you go onto an island for a trip, they just sort of turn into something else, don't they? <laughs> We've seen it all. I mean, we really, well, you think you've seen it all and then something else turns up. Uh, <laughs> I've got so many stories. Uh, God, where do I start? Um We've had some well, I'll tell you what, characters. start with a story about Chris. <laughs> I don't know if he's got one. <laughs> there was, uh, uh, yeah, gosh, there's, 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 there's so many. Without without naming and shaming everyone, it's, it's quite difficult. But we have a, yeah. We, we were up at about one in the morning once and you were absolutely seeing me under the table with a bottle of Jägermeister. <laughs> That happens more often than you'd imagine. That, that's, a, that's a reasonably common event. Um, we, we've uh, we've got quite a well-stocked gun room outside, uh, and we, we keep all the, the booze out there. And we're we're relatively well-stocked. We don't like running out of things. And, and um, yeah, we've had some pretty late nights in there as well. And God, yeah, we've we've um, yeah. This, 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 I mean, we, we, we've got we've got team. We've had Highland Games at three o'clock in the morning outside in the grass. We, you know, I had to go down to the farm one day at about half three in the morning to find a rope big enough to do a tug of war. Um, we, we've had rugby matches in the front. We've had England versus Scotland. We've had the Calcutta Cup game on the front lawn again in the middle of the night without any sort of lights. It's, uh, it, it, we've had some really messy nights. Yeah, and I think I think one of my favourite stories. Lady uh, who who um, came and stayed with us and and got got pretty drunk after dinner one night and sort of flaked out on the sofa and uh, everybody else was having a, a reasonably nice time on the other side of the living room and I'd gone through and I was having a dram with them and this lady got up and uh, as you know Chrissy she went through into our kitchen and I thought that that's that's fine she's probably just going for a drink she'd been passed out for a couple of hours <laughs> and uh, she went off into the kitchen and I. I had a few whiskeys by then. I'd sort of forgotten about her a little bit. 
about five minutes later, Mary came through. She'd gone to bed long since. Oh, Mary came through in her dressing gown, sort of escorting this this rather drunk lady through the living room. And basically what she'd done is she, she got the wrong end of the house. So she'd gone up, <laughs> come up our staircase, got into our bedroom, jumped, in, jumped into bed with Mary. Uh, Mary thought it was me coming to bed. Got a hell of a fright. Um, and uh, escorted her back to her own, own side of the house and took her to bed. So, yeah, I mean, there's... There's, there's, um, there's, there's so many stories like it. You could go on all night. <laughs> You've seen all. I think the nice thing about here is people let their hair down, you know, so you don't have to worry about driving or anything like that. We have a mile of road on the island. Nobody brings their cars over here, so we sort out all the transport. You know, your phone's pretty out of action. You don't get much signal here and things like that. So everybody can kind of just cut off and, and just switch off when they're here, which is lovely to see. You know, you, you get guys come into the lodge for the first time and they just, you can see them relax. It's really nice. And, and they know they're here for a couple of days. There's no pressure. They're not thinking about what's what's happening at work the next day or, or the drive home or anything like that. So it's, um, yeah, I guess that makes it makes it a little bit different. Yeah, I guess that's what it is, isn't it? It's the it's like you just know that for the next, you know, three, four days or whatever, you're just there to enjoy yourself, to have fun, to relax in whatever shape or form that takes and 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 enjoy yourself and, and being as it were, isolated, if you'll excuse the pun. Uh excuse the pun, I should say, third whiskey. Um <laughs> uh, then I guess what happens on muck stays on muck. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. I think a lot of these guys, you know, that a lot of these guys are fairly high high pressure jobs and they're busy the whole time and their phones are ringing off the hook the whole time. Um, they just they come to someone like this and and we, we you know they don't need to think about everything. Everything's laid out for them. You know, we tell them where they need to be at what time and everything's set up for them. They don't need to think and they can just switch off and they they do generally relax, which is uh, which is lovely for us. You know, it's really nice. For for us to see that that's what we do that that's that's what we're here to, to do and it, it it's so true like a normal shoot day it goes back to my my argument over why trips are so good a normal shoot day you're only a few hours from getting in the car and going back to whatever it was you were doing before you turned up and when you get to muck because you just literally put your brain in the bucket at the door <laughs> and, then, and then just crack on it, the, the atmosphere is so much better so yeah. i think if, if you're a syndicate listening to this and you and you and you sort of have a couple of away days or whatever. Ram it all into a weekend or uh, you know a trip to somewhere like Muck, and 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 just you'll have so much more fun. I'm a, a huge advocate. of Well, these. I mean, last week I said that the uh, I say last week last recording uh, I said that the game train was my desert island shooting. I think if I was being a bit more realistic, <laughs> <laughs> a trip to come and see you, Toby, would be right up there in in terms of a bucket list for me so um i mean chris nobody ever asks us about our desert island shooting but um it seems to me like this is a good point to ask toby about his desert island shooting trip what if money was no object and if uh logistics weren't an issue it's your last ever trip your last what are you going to go and do there's, there's so many, isn't there? I've, I've been lucky enough. I've shot in some amazing places. I've I've been to Argentina to have a go at the doves. I've I've shot in France, shot boar in France. I've shot chamois in Austria. I've, I've been to New Zealand to hunt over there. I've I've been incredibly <laughs> lucky. Um, I, I, for me, um, do you know what we we we? So we have a boys' trip every year in January. Uh, we have sort of two or three days away uh, we go across to Angus and shoot in a lovely estate over there and we stay in a hotel for three nights and have a huge amount of fun there's a, a group of eight or ten of us that we're all at school together or uni together and uh, we only meet up sadly once or twice a year to shoot or rugby matches or whatever it's pretty hard to beat to be honest I mean I am this it's it, it, it's I think for me, if I, if I could go back in time, there was a lovely old boy, a chap called Bill Phillips, who who uh, sadly he's been dead for a few years now, Bill. But he uh, he taught me how to shoot, and he was he was so good to me as a boy. Um, 
used to take me clay shooting after school. I was probably 10 or 11. And, um, I used to walk up ditches. I shot a lot of rabbits with them out of the top of his truck. And um, we'd walk up ditches with a spaniel. A real old school shooting, really good fun. He used to tell me they used to go out to the US, south to south US, and, and shoot driven snipe over there. And this is probably going back to the 50s or 60s, probably a long time ago. Um, and they they shot the record bag for driven snipe on south US and I think they had about 1100 snipe for their, for their week they had four of what? shooting wow. shot something like 1100 races snipe and to me uh, if I could go back in time I'd like to be there with Bill and some of my mates now and oh. uh, that, that to me sounds awesome wow. being in the arse end of nowhere shooting that volume of snipe and just you know to shoot 11 we see it here we have a lot of snipe here but to shoot 1100 snipe I can only imagine how many snipe you must have to lift to, to put over the guns yeah, these guys yeah. were all, they were all good shots but even so that's um, unbelievable can you imagine that it just just must be awesome so I think if if, if I could go back in time and uh, I think I think that would be for me the ultimate I don't think I don't think you could do that <laughs> That that's up there. Richard Cross's trip to Balmoral, taking over the Queen's room, and all the rest of it. <laughs> like, but yours actually happened. It did happen. It happened. It's a thing that happened. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of these old guys aren't are, are, are no more. My, my father used to run a syndicate on on our farm in Aberdeenshire. A lot of these these guys, they were all old school farmers, and and uh, did a lot of shooting in their in their older years. And they they did these trips, you know, and they they went out to South Uist and and um, uh, it was an annual thing for them and just they just hit it right one year and it was just just thousands of stuff. but i mean it's really interesting what we're, we're, we're what 44 full episodes in now you're the first person who said they want to go back in time and and do a do something back in time um yeah. claire last week said that she wanted to to resurrect a few people to have with her on her on her dream day on her desert island shooting but um this is the first time somebody's sort of got their time machine out which i think is quite cool and definitely worth going back for for sure but the 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 um the the, the theme continues which is you want to take all your mates back with you which yeah. you know it's always yeah. about being with the people who you enjoy spending time with the most and i think that's i mean if there was a theme that came out of desert island shooting it's that isn't it yeah definitely <laughs> yeah really good well, look, Toby, awesome. Uh, a lovely note to finish it on. Uh, and it, uh, 1,100 snipes certainly beats the uh, the 50 we had one year on, on Muck. Uh, but I mean, even, even the 50 we had a few years back on Muck, we were like shocked by. That was just a hell of a year. I mean, you never really shoot even 50 snipe now. So, I mean, that was unbelievable. But um, yeah, hey-ho. <laughs> No, it'd be, I, just, I just think for me, the absolute ultimate, I, I think that something like that would be, would just be, just be uh, as my last shoot, what a swan song that would be. That'd Indeed. Be awesome. I'd love it. Yeah, amazing. Right. Well, Toby, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I have loved hearing about the island. And I'm, I said to my wife earlier today, this place if it's not my 40th, I want it to be my 50th birthday present to myself. <laughs> and yeah. 40 is rather closer than I'm happy to think about. So it probably will be the 50th. <laughs> so you've got at least a decade to prepare yourself. But um, uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, Toby. Cheers, Chris. Thank you very much. Right. So before we go, as per usual, there's one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas to resolve, uh, by getting in touch to let us know where you've been listening, or by sending us your unpopular opinions. Just drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. Uh, and if we read it out in the next episode or any future episodes, we will send you some garters. We will be back in 2022 with another episode. But until then, thanks very much for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and goodbye. George, we should, we, we'll, we'll have to do some creative accounting one day and then just sort of move the office up there for a week. <laughs> 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 <laughs>